On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great, Lance. We get to talk to one of our best friends in the crime media space in this episode. Her name is Sarah Turney. What a delight to talk to her. I'm very impressed that you and I didn't spend the first half an hour telling her how great she is and how great the work that she does is. Uh, we refrained from doing that, and we got right down into the uh, conversation at hand. It is, though. Just want to point out. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This is by no means us changing our mind or having a different opinion on that. We just, uh, sometimes it gets a little embarrassing to hear yourself really uh, fawn over someone like that. And so a lot of people know Sarah from her podcast, Voices for Justice. And, of course, her sister, Alyssa Turney, has been missing since the year 2000, out of Phoenix, Arizona, and Michael Turney was charged with second-degree murder on August 19th, 2020. And you have to think about how unique that is, especially considering there's no body or a trace of a body. Hopefully the start of a trend, Lance, with uh, those kind of charges and possible convictions. But Sarah can't actually speak about her sister's case uh, in this episode. So just want to be upfront about that. Um, There is a trial that is going to happen, so she can't really talk about it yet. Um, But there is plenty more to talk with Sarah about, namely her podcast, Voices for Justice, and all the social media work she does, which is really quite remarkable. Yeah, it's super impressive when you look at her TikTok account. She has used that TikTok account to her advantage and amassed uh, an enormous following. She really spreads the word about her sister and about injustice through that TikTok account. And the first case that Sarah covered in her new season of Voices for Justice is about the disappearance of Angela Green, who was 51 at the time of her disappearance. And so we talk a little bit about that as well as a lot of other stuff. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it with Sarah Turney. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Please follow us on social media at MissingCSM, which stands for Crawl Space Media. Thank you.
Sarah Turney, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Been a crazy day, but I'm happy to be here. What? It's been a crazy day? Yeah. Um, so I got some messages that a large uh, commentary channel on YouTube made a video about this guy who has um, been giving me a hard time on TikTok. So it's been been quite the, the morning already. It's 12 where I am. So already a crazy day. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You're one of the busiest people we know. And that brings me to that topic of TikTok you just brought up. You have, I think to, to, to date, you have uh, 37 million followers on TikTok, which is great. Congratulations. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have, I, I have 1.1 million followers right now. It's insane. I don't think like if you were to count up everything I've ever done in my life, I don't think it comes to a million any like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I've even opened a door a, mil- a million times. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. And I don't know really how it works. Like my followers honestly fluctuate. Like sometimes I'll post a video and they just start going down. Other times I post a video and they start going up. TikTok is really weird and I still haven't mastered it. I very much feel like I won the TikTok lottery. Yeah, I would argue that you maybe have mastered it, though, um, with that amount of followers. Um, so, Sarah Turney, it's been a while since we've uh, spoken with you. Obviously, some enormous things in uh, your life and in your sister Alyssa Turney's case have taken place uh, since we last spoke on these airwaves. And uh, we can't really get into uh, a lot of that here today. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in August of 2020, my father was arrested on um, second degree murder charges for my sister, Alyssa. And like you said, that's that's basically all I can say about it at this time. But yeah, I mean, obviously, huge news, a huge break in the case. It's been an absolutely insane. Um, what is it? You know, five months or whatever it is. Um, just totally crazy. What I want to know is, how are you doing? Hey, I'm all right. I'm okay. It's it's a lot. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm very very stressed. Um, but you know, I took four months off. I I took four months off to really just kind of absorb everything that was going on, deal with this stress, and kind of figure out what I want to do in the future. Um, so I'm very grateful that I've had that time off. It, but like I said, it's still very stressful, and I'm just trying to balance everything the best I can. What do you do to combat that stress? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of just. Yeah, like lounging around, to be totally honest. It's a lot of like long baths while I watch Shit's Creek and, you know, laying on the couch with a glass of wine and making sure I take that time to decompress. Unlike, you know, when I was making my podcast, that was, you know, go to work, come home, work until I sleep, wake up early to work. Then, you know, it was just my schedule is so different now. And I, I'm so lucky to have this time to decompress. So, no uh, current day job outside of the podcast at this point? Right now, I am actually podcasting full-time. I'm very fortunate to be able to say that, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Um, I, I did want to comment, though, that there was something missing during your time of decompression, which was listen to Crawl Space. I'm just assuming you thought that that was known already. No, of course. No, to be and to be honest, you know, when I took these four months off, that was actually me like researching cases I wanted to cover in the future. That's me talking to families. That's that's me working. But without that stress of, you know, putting together these episodes, I should say. Um, so, no, I was absolutely listening to Crawl Space during my time off. I was I was working during those four months, um, but just, you know, less less crazy work, I should say. OK, good. Now that we've got that out of the way. Thank um, you for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This has uh, been nice talking to you. Has there been any um, 
positive or negative feedback? What what type of feedback have you been getting? Um, it's it's been positive. I feel like I'm pretty blessed that um most of the you know the interactions I have with people are positive. I get so much love and support. Um, I would say you know people leaving mean comments are are pretty rare. It does happen, especially you know when there's drama or what's going on. Um, but I, I'm very fortunate that so many people just like show love support for me. And by drama, you kind of mean, uh, I guess you could say, doing some kind of battle with uh, influencers out there. Is that is that uh, what I see it? I have seen out there. Yeah. So I mean, it's a long story. I can, you know, I'm, I'll try to keep short. But there's a guy on TikTok who made a hundred videos about Alyssa, and you know, we were talking, and he started posting videos with just incorrect case information. And this is before my dad got arrested. When I'm in full swing of advocating for her and shouting her name everywhere I can, and so I'm like, hey, you know, like you, you got this piece of information wrong. You're talking about the wrong house where you think she might be buried or whatever. Um, and then he comes out and says, well, you know, Sarah's really suspicious and I think she might be covering for her dad. And it became this like all out, just insane, really gross, um, battle. I mean, he, he basically made a post that was like, you guys need to go, um, you know, uh, report all of her accounts. He was basically trying to get me kicked off of all social media platforms because I said, hey, you got this piece of case information wrong. It was absolutely insane. And what's scary is he has like 270,000 followers on TikTok. It's not like he's some small account. So, I mean, I, I got messages today about people who, you know, think I should die or whatever because of what I've done to him, which is just say, hey, you're, you're incorrect about this. And I think that you're, you know, exploiting these true crime stories to get views. Damn. Damn. I mean, may may that be a uh, word of warning for people who look into true crime, especially when you're communicating directly to a family member, uh, that not everything is is what it seems on the surface. And sometimes things are exactly what it seems. And maybe sometimes you should just butt out of coming up with your own conclusions publicly. Um, has, has this guy done this before with other cases that you know of? Yes, he is notorious for doing this with other cases. He did it to um, Abby and Libby from the Delphi case. He's done it to like, like, I think what he's doing right now is mostly really popular cases like Elvis and John, you know, John F. Kennedy and Madeline McCann and John, uh, John Benet Ramsey and stuff like that. But that's what he does is he says, this is my proof. I'm literally talking to this spirit. You can hear them too, which uh, he uses a ghost box, uh, I guess, or a spirit box is what it's called, which sounds to me like a lot of like radio static, but I'm not trying to discount it. If people believe in it, I have a very open mind, but I I don't hear anything in these videos when he says people are talking, um, but he's using this and saying, this is evidence. This is real evidence that this person is talking to me. He did it with me and said, you know, he directly called me out and said, Sarah, your sister's trying to talk to you and tell you that you're wrong. He, uh, he said that Alyssa called one of his haters a really derogatory name, like just really disgusting stuff. Um, so yeah, he's, he is making, you know, an entire living off of this. I kind of feel bad talking about it because I don't want to direct anybody to him. I don't want to, you know, fan the flames any more than they uh, should be fanned or have been fanned. But at the same time, it needs to be brought into the light that this is occurring and somehow has to be controlled. I mean, I get it. I'm as open minded as anybody. Like you said, you're open minded and you can experiment and and you can use a spirit box as a sort of tool um but when you are directly saying no this your your sister is saying these things about you uh 
that's just not accurate. That it's just it's just not reality. And I don't know how do you how do you wrangle someone like that? Yeah, I mean, in my experience, you don't. When I called him out, you know, I just I made a video on TikTok because everybody was asking me about it. And I said, hey, I don't support him for these reasons. And I wasn't trying to hack him. You guys know how I am. I am like so hesitant to call out people because I don't want them to get clout. There have been so many situations that you guys know about privately that I don't discuss publicly for that exact reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was no wrangling him. I tried to fight with logic and say, hey, that you know, I don't support this guy because A, B, and C happened. Like, but thank you guys for caring about Alyssa's case. And I just got so much hate, like so much stuff, um, especially on, you know, his like Facebook page. People are tagging me and asking me for more evidence about where I was the day that Alyssa went missing when I'm 12 years old. Like just really insane stuff. So I think the more that you try to wrangle him, the worse it gets. He's already made three videos in response to this YouTube video that came out today in like an hour. He's just, I, I don't, I, I think he thrives off this attention. Um, but again, it's, it's hard because I think it is an important topic to discuss and that's exploiting people in true crime. So it's hard to not give them clout while still addressing the issue. Yeah. Great point. Wow. Um, really interesting stuff. And, uh, and you kind of, um, called out another, uh, I think TikTok person too, personality who, um, had made a video and correct me if I'm wrong, if I got some of the details wrong, but she made a, a video of herself being kidnapped, like foe being kidnapped or foe being missing or something like that. So this is a YouTuber and I believe she has millions of subscribers. I'd never heard about her before this. But um, it came to my attention through, I watch a lot of YouTube commentary channels because I like to keep my, it's kind of like pop culture entertainment news, if you will, um, which is kind of like my guilty pleasure. I just enjoy hearing about that kind of stuff. So he made a video about it and started doing some posts on, um, I, I'm sorry, it might've just been posts on Twitter, but he brought it to my attention. And essentially this girl with millions of followers um, makes this video titled um, something like, I go, I went missing for 24 hours. And in the thumbnail, it's her friends crying and there's a picture of a missing persons poster. Um, so, you know, it's portrayed as if, oh my gosh, I went missing. Like it, it is portraying that she went missing. And apparently what this is, is a trend in YouTubers. What they do is make these videos saying that they're going missing when it's some type of scavenger hunt for their friends to find them. So it is like this really weird trend of, you know, almost clickbaiting people into believing that they're missing, but then it's this other kind of, you know, oh, it's just a silly fun video where my friends try to find me. Um, so yeah, I called her out on, on TikTok and was like, this isn't okay. I would, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you about how harmful this is and about how this could lead to, you know, resources being used for you that don't need to be used for you. Um, I actually, there was also a really viral video on TikTok recently um, with a girl who was acting as if she was kidnapped and it got millions and millions of views and people are terrified and I'm getting tagged left and right. And I'm telling people like, you have to report these one, because if it's real, this person needs help. And two, because if it's not real, they should get in trouble. So yeah, over this past week or something, it's just been kind of everywhere. And I wanted to address it because I do get asked all the time. Like I get tagged in these videos hundreds of times saying, Sarah, can you help this person? So I wanted to make a video addressing it and saying, Hey, if you see videos like this, this is what you should do. Um, let's not just give this millions of views. Let's report it to the police so that something can be done about it, whether it's real or whether it's fake. Wow. I have never heard this. Yeah. Uh, Tim, have you ever heard this? This is like a thing. No, I haven't heard it until I saw Sarah's tweets. Uh, yeah. But one thing that I noticed that uh, was kind of a trend that 
annoyed me was on Instagram. I follow the uh, the hashtags missing and missing person, and then some for some reason, uh, random people will hashtag like pictures of them making out on with, with missing, and so that comes up in that hashtag or missing or missing person, which is pretty annoying, I would say. So it's kind of the same vein, but not quite as strong. So what do you what do you do? Uh, I mean, I get it. I get that this is probably. Uh, like an interesting, I guess, um, dynamic scavenger hunt that that could be appealing to, to people. But, I mean, there's got to be a better way to go about doing this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like the worst kind of clickbait, if you will. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it happens a lot on TikTok because, if you know, if you aren't familiar with the app, it's basically run by a large, you know, video feed where videos just show up on your phone, essentially. And it, you know, people will post these videos where it looks like they could be in trouble. You know, for example, there was a girl on train tracks walking saying that she's scared that she's being followed you know and there's no indication in the video or in the caption that it's just a joke and then you go to the comments and you know they're like calm down everybody it's just a joke you know this was just supposed to be like a horror spoof and it's like I just I don't think people are that stupid like we see what you're doing it's not a joke it's not funny when you raise the alarm like that it's it's just not okay and again for me it really comes down to those resources you know if the police and the FBI or whatever are getting an influx of contact inquiries about these cases. It's taking away from from people who really need help. And that's my biggest qualm with it, of course. But yeah, I mean, apparently it's this big trend that I just found out about. Um, apparently, I was the last one to this party to figure it out. Well, at, at second to last, I feel I feel like I'm coming up in the in the rear here. <laughs> well, even, you know, when I was posting videos about Alyssa way back in the day, a lot of those home videos, people would comment and be like, yeah, this is fake. Like, these are all over TikTok. This is fake or whatever. Um, I get that all the time on my TikTok videos. And I have to think about why does that happen? Well, it's because so many people do post fake videos. It, it's just, yeah, it's not a trend that I am okay with, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there should be some way to flag content like that. But I guess the machine that is TikTok is this streaming video, this nonstop streaming video, right? So how do you how do you put some sort of uh, you know, flags on something where it's like millions of videos go out every hour? Yeah. Well, you know, and oftentimes they do get taken down, but this is after it's already gotten, you know, 10 million views or whatever it is, because that's just, it's, these videos just get so viral. They get so big, so fast. You know, for example, I think it took my, one of the largest YouTube videos ever about Alyssa was with Kendall Ray. And I think it took a year for it to get a million views. And these, you know, one minute videos on TikTok are getting 10 million in the first, you know, two hours or whatever. It's just, it just happens so fast. Um, but, you know, eventually, as people do report them, they usually do get taken down, at least from TikTok. And that's real? Those are real people, uh, one person per account? Or how does it, that, that, those are real numbers? Yeah, those are real numbers. A lot of the times, hmm. these biggest viral videos you will see come from these accounts with no profile picture, with no, you don't know who these people are. And they do it because they know that this account's going to get, you know, taken down. They do it because they know it's a joke. Um yeah, it just I think it's just obviously a big downside that comes with, you know, TikTok being such an equal platform to go viral on, in my opinion. Well, I apologize if you uh, tomorrow see these uh, very viral videos of me wandering around a field saying I'm in trouble because now I'm thinking I could really raise my profile. Now I'm sort of on the other side of the fence here. 
<laughs> you honestly could. It's so sad. It's so sad. I hmm. like, and that's the thing. And these kids, I assume the majority of them are pretty young know this they see it and they go oh that's cool i want 10 million views that's funny and they don't get it you know what i mean and i don't expect them to get it but that's why i try to be i try to be nice as i as nice as i can in these videos like i never be like i, I never try to be like you're an idiot you can't do this you don't care about people like I'm like, hey, like, you know, for example, that girl from YouTube, she's very young. I was like, hey, you know, this is my story. You know, I created my sister's first missing poster flyer when I was 12. Like, if you want to learn more, like my DMs are open to you. But like these videos really do hurt people. It's just yeah, it's just insane. How did that go over? Oh, she never responded. And I said that yeah. in my video. I was like, I'm sure you'll never see this or respond to it. She she kept the video up. She went on making other videos. It is what it is. Yeah, just just steamrolling through it all. Nice. There's something with uh, with social media news sort of traveling faster. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that documentary on Netflix. Um, the social dilemma was that was the name of that, and they had they had a really startling um, stat: like fake news on social media travels six times faster than something that's false in traditional news. Yeah, I believe it. I did watch that documentary and all it did was really scare me and think, oh my gosh, I don't want to be on social media anymore, which is staggering because it's me. But um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I see it on TikTok all the time, which, you know, is where I'm most active because I do have the most followers there. Um, So I, like I said, I see it all the time because I get tagged in it because people... Like, I guess I've become this kind of figurehead on TikTok where it's if you're missing and you're trying to get attention, I get tagged and they're like, Sarah, can you help her? So, like, go look at Sarah's account. This is what she did. It happens to me like a few dozen times a day, at least. Um, so I try I try to stay on top of it, but it's it's absolutely insane on there. But you did have somebody come to your, your defense um, regarding this other person who was, uh, you know, the guy with the spirit box. Did you have someone come to your defense? Was it the uh, creep show art guy? He made a video. Yeah. So I, um, it was actually somebody commented on one of my videos on TikTok and said, Hey, just saw the video from creep show art. And I'm like, what is this? And I go run and watch it. And apparently Kendall Ray, the YouTuber, um, notified creep show art of what was going on with this ghost whisperer guy. And she made a video. Um, you know, she usually comments on, you know, YouTubers like Jake Paul and Tana Mojo and, stuff like that. Um, so it's absolutely insane to see that it's it's getting to this true crime level. But yeah, she she made this huge commentary about it and was like, this is what Sarah's been doing. Um, and look at this guy being a complete idiot, to be totally honest. You know, she puts up receipts, if you will, which is what they, you know, we call them on YouTube. Um, and she she shows this is what you said about Sarah, which is, you know, that he will always believe that I will I had something to do with my sister's disappearance, that I'm covering for my dad in some way. Um, and yeah, it's just absolutely insane, but yeah, I woke up and, and saw that video today and it's already gotten a ton of views and I just hope that it brings attention to these real issues of like, it's not okay to exploit families like this. It's not okay to go to someone and say, your family members talking to you directly. You know, he made so many videos just haunting me like Sarah, you need to watch this Sarah. We need to team up and dig for your sister's body. Like it's just it's completely inappropriate, not okay. And I'm really glad that someone other than me started talking about it. Because when it comes from me, I feel like I'm just whining about it, which in a sense I, I am. No, I think it's it's uh, more of the same. It's advocacy, um, Sarah. So yeah, don't don't feel bad about that for sure. Well, thank you. Quick, I want to make a quick... Um... Uh, correction. I think I, I think I accidentally said creep show art was a, was a he to she. 
So I think I said that when I was um, talking, when I asked you that question. Uh, So my bad on that. But anyway, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And uh, so I want to talk about Voices for Justice season two. You've uh, you've you've got some great equipment. It sounds great. We could we're looking at it now. Your equipment is top notch. Thank you. I'm not gonna lie. This microphone was given to me by a friend. Um, but yeah, I and I, I reached out. I think I've reached out to you guys like a million times about equipment, and then I like forget what you said, and I'll reach out to you again. So I appreciate you helping me through this journey. I did get the Zoom P4, which was really exciting for me. Um, but yeah, no, I did upgrade my equipment. I got out of my closet, as you can see, which is so exciting for me because in Arizona it does get to like one. 15 in the summer pretty regularly and I was in that closet with no air and one time I almost passed out and I was like okay it is time (laughs) to upgrade um so yeah I mean I got some foam I got a new microphone and I'm really excited about it it's cool I'm I'm really excited to be able to reinvest in the podcast especially as I go to help these other cases because to be honest you know when it was Alyssa's case it was kind of like I'm gonna do it my way and however I can and if it's not good enough like I tried my best but when it comes to these other cases, I'm like, no, I need the, I need a better mic. I need this. I need to really upgrade because I feel like there's, I don't know, in a weird sense, more of a duty to these people I don't know versus my sister where I'm kind of like, I'm doing my best and it's really hard and hopefully it's okay. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to upgrade because I felt like I needed to make sure that it was as amazing as possible um, with all this new knowledge that I've uh, gained about podcasting and equipment. So it's, it's very exciting for me. Speaking of podcasting, I noticed a tweet of yours where you say, in today's episode, I discuss how my interview style might be a little different from other podcasts, and you are slightly nervous about that. I'm very curious to hear how your interview style differs from other podcasts and why that would make you nervous. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm researching these cases and then going and talking to these family members, I had to make a decision, you know, specifically with my Angela Green case where I talked to her daughter, Ellie, who is 20 years old and going and doing a ton of interviews where, you know, she's she's crying, telling these stories about, you know, the last time she saw her mom and telling these stories about when she found out that her mom died. And it's heart wrenching. You know, she she's crying. And obviously, it's very, very hard to talk about. So in my research, I found a ton of statements, a ton of videos of her telling these stories. And when I went to go interview her, I had to make this decision. Do I ask her again to relive these moments for the purposes of my podcast? Does that add to the story in a way that I can't grab from something she's done in the past? And I made the decision to not ask her. Um, And I think a lot of that stems from my own experience and being asked to relive some of my the most horrific moments in Alyssa's case again and again and again. And I decided that it it wouldn't add enough to the story to put her through that. And um, why I was nervous about it is because I think that a lot of people are used to that. You know, you get on there, you hear from a family member, they're usually crying and upset about the last day and all these horrible things that happened. And I I just didn't want to do that. And I made the decision that when I interview families, I'm not going to do that if I can find other information. If they've given a statement to Dr. Phil and, you know, Good Morning America and all these other places, um, I'm not going to ask them again just so that they can be emotional on my podcast. It didn't feel right to me. Wait, but we always really depend a lot on getting those tears. Those tears equal, that equals ratings. 
So I just want to say you're you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> no, and that's honestly that's why I'm nervous. I think you guys are amazing, and I've never experienced that with you guys. Um, but you know, if I'm being honest, I have interviewed and told the same story for like what at least fifty podcasts, and I can tell you that people have tried to make me cry. It's and I just, you know, it's it's kind of like when you have a bad boss and you say, ooh, I never want to be like that. I would never treat people like that. I learned a lot doing all these interviews. And a lot of that is, you know, how I don't want to treat family members in this industry. I just won't do it. And if you don't want to listen to my podcast because I won't make people cry on there, then maybe maybe you shouldn't be listening and you're not in it for the right reasons anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't uh I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think the originality of your perspective being so different from anything people have ever heard really in in the podcast form um is going to more than make up for it. Thank you. Well, and honestly what solidified it for me was after this interview with Ellie, she said, "I have never had an interview like this." Like that it wasn't even a like I don't know. It wasn't as if it was like, okay, this is for sure my concept going forward. It kind of naturally stemmed from that. Her being like, thank you for interviewing me like this. Thank you for not asking me those questions. That hasn't happened before. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, this is how I want to run my podcast. Yeah. It's really smart. Um, when that happens and you identify that this is the way that you're going to move forward, because I'm sure at some point during that conversation, that you were having with her, it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like uh, two friends having a conversation. And if this happens to somebody and they have a terrible tragedy and they're being interviewed and they want to talk about the specific tragedy, the moment it happened, they'll, they'll talk about it. They'll, they might even say to you, you know, maybe you should ask me about this. We've had moments like that where people have said that, but you get those really genuine moments when you don't talk about the, the actual incident and you say, Tell, tell me about like the holidays with with your you know your loved one tell me tell me about the family dynamic and all of a sudden a half hour goes by and you're both laughing about these things that this person has done it's uh translates really well to to the listeners too and it's a really refreshing change of pace hey thank you i hope so and yeah i mean i've experienced that in other interviews where like you know i had an interview with kristen thalen who is brandy meyer's sister and i've known her for years right so it's not it's kind of different with an interview, kind of like us, right? Like it's, it's a little more lax. We know each other. We can kind of joke around a little bit more, but in that conversation, you know, it ended up being two hours. And in that time, you know, I didn't even have to ask her. She just started telling me the story and getting emotional. Um, so yeah, to your point, I think when it's just a natural conversation, those things come out more. I don't think you necessarily have to say, you know, tell me about the worst day of your life. How sad did that make you? Um, it just doesn't have to be that way. And I feel like I am fortunate to be more, um, it, I guess it's just more of a conversation with a lot of these families because I've a lot of the times already talked to them so many times over social media and them asking questions or whatever. So, and I think people do naturally kind of let their guard down with me too, um, just because they've, they, they know, I know what they're going through. So I feel fortunate and I just want to make it, you know, my whole goal with the podcast is to make people care about these stories and take action. And if I can do that without triggering my guest, I'm, I'm going to do that. Good. Um, and we're recording this after you released episode one. Um, so you talked to Angela's daughter, Ellie, you spoke to a very familiar voice to us, Dr. Scott of LA, not so confidential in episode one. It's always nice to hear, uh, hear him. Um, are you going to talk to other experts? 
Yeah, I think that is just, again, just kind of naturally unfolded that way because I am so fortunate to know so many people in the podcasting industry that when a topic comes up, such as anything with psychological, you know, or mental health, I should say, um, I want to call on people that know more than me. I don't want to sit there and pretend like I know what I'm talking about when I don't. So why not call on somebody like Dr. Scott or Dr. Shiloh to speak about these issues when they're so much more educated than I am? So yeah, I think I think probably, you know, if they'll if they'll come back on, I will probably have this rotating cast of experts that I can call upon when I need them, hopefully. And you always have Dr. Crawlspace here if you want. <laughs> You already know I want to do all the episodes with you guys. It's fine. Because again, like even, you know, with I want to do Morris case because Morris still needs justice. That's what it is for me. It's not, it's too big. I don't want to cover it. Mora needs justice. End of story. And why wouldn't I bring on people who have studied this case for years? I'm not going to, you know, I could research it for an entire week and still know probably 10% of what you guys know. There's no reason to not call on my friends and say, hey, let's talk about this. You know more than I do. Let's let's collaborate. It just makes the most sense to help the story in my mind. Really good point. Makes the most sense to help the story. Uh, when you were putting together your new season, did you come up with cases and stories that you uh, were definitely going to focus on and then you you started working on them or did you let the season dictate itself? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I have a list of cases I want to cover and it is kind of dictating itself. Right now I'm trying to balance not just putting all of my friends' stories up there, you know, in the first 10 episodes or whatever, um, because I'm not always going to have a family member to interview. So I'm trying to weave in, you know, here's a story where I really do talk to somebody from the family. Here's a story where I don't and make sure that there's a good balance of that. Um, but of course, I also want to balance, you know, all the demographics of it. I want to make sure I'm featuring cases from every culture and every background. Um, so yeah, I am just kind of naturally letting it unfold like that because otherwise I would just be like, I'm going to do all 10 of these cases because I talk to these people and that's not necessarily necessarily fair to everyone else in the world that needs justice so I guess I'm balancing putting out episodes with people I've been talking to for years and putting out episodes of cases I'm just discovering can you tell us a little bit about the case of Angela Green yes um and I think it's it's pretty obvious why this case is close to my heart um and in this episode I actually shout out I think like three people in the first five minutes for helping me because of course John Lorden brought this to my attention Charlie from Crime Lines uh connected me with Ellie but essentially John Lorden is like Sarah you have to see this story and I'm like John Lorden is calling on me I will do anything for this man so I go and research it and essentially um you know Angela Green went missing in June of 2019, but her daughter doesn't know this. Her daughter is told by Angela's husband, you know, your, your mom went to a psychiatric hospital. She was having a really hard time after you went away to college. Um, I went ahead and had her admitted. And then three weeks later, he comes to Ellie and says, well, she died of a stroke in this hospital. Um, and then he says, please don't tell your mom's family. She is a dutiful daughter. She's 20 years old. She's like, okay, I'm going to do what my dad says. I have no reason not to believe my dad. Sound familiar? I, I have no reason not to believe my dad. I trust him. I love him, blah, blah, blah. And then something like six or eight months goes by and she's like, okay, I have to tell my mom's family what's going on. Cause I don't understand, you know, there, I, I don't understand. So her, she tells her mom's family 
And there is a doctor and a lawyer in this family. So they're like, okay, Ellie, if your mom died, maybe you should go get the death certificate. I think that's a great place to start. Ellie goes to get the death certificate. It doesn't exist. So they file a missing persons report, all this stuff. Um, the police go talk to Angela's husband and he says, no, no, she didn't die of a stroke. She ran away with some friends. And then at this point, Ellie starts recording everything and it just gets really, really insane. Um, so of course, like I am just a huge champion for Ellie, but I also want to get justice for her mom. Um, so it's this really crazy story of conflicting stories from, you know, Angela's husband that ends in Ellie losing her father and her mother and fighting us. It's, it's really sad and really insane. Um, and I'm just so proud of her and hope that, you know, we can get Angela some justice. Wow. Geez, and this is something that um, was brought to you by the the Almighty John Lorden, <laughs> the Lord John Lorden. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful human being. Did he give you more of a background to it, or did he say, "Here's the name, here's some details," and then you discovered it on your own as you established that relationship with her? So he tweeted something that was like, Sarah, you have to see this case. And I believe I watched his video on it and was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I do have to see this case. And that's when I started looking into it more um, and trying to get a hold of Ellie um, and just talking to her, to be honest, and seeing what she needed and how I could help. And, um, you know, she's she's doing a lot right now. You know, she's doing all the circuits on everything. And but yeah, I he basically was like, look at this. And I just dove right into it because he said so. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and so wow, this is a pretty recent story. And so, was Ellie following your journey via social media or anything like that? So I don't know at what point she became aware of it, but by uh-huh. the time we did connect, she was like, "I know of your story. Oh my gosh, I I would love for you to help me and all of that." Um, so yeah, I think at, at one point she became aware of it, but I, you know, she didn't. I don't think she was super into true crime. I think this just kind of happened upon her in her life and then you know she started hearing more about similar stories i just want to highlight something that might go overlooked we talk a lot about how people misuse social media i feel like john lord in tweeting you that so everyone can see was such a smart move because even if you even if you looked at it and you and you thought well hits too close to home or I'm too busy, you know, and you take a pass on it for the time being, he still created like two channels of um, awareness for, for your case, for, for this case. I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he could have easily texted you or sent you an email and said, check this out, you know, but he did it. He, 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 manipulated to, uh, social media for his own benefit for for the not his own benefit but for the benefit of these cases it's it's a uh, super smart and may that be a lesson to people this this episode's full of lessons i love it yeah en- enough about john lorden for god's sake we, uh, i know did john lorden give you the microphone because i'm gonna i'm gonna blow my stack if he gave you the microphone <laughs> it was yeah. not john lorden um, oh good it was not John Lorden, but it was a really on. great friend. But yeah, no, I think it's super smart of John. And to be honest, like, yeah, it can get a little crazy to see, you know, you've been tagged in a thousand things in one day or whatever, but I do appreciate it. I appreciate it so much because otherwise I probably won't see it because I'm so into these cases that I research that, um, yeah, unless you tag me in it, I probably won't see it. So I really do appreciate it. Keep on, keep on tagging me, guys. I love it. And uh, what else is coming up on season two of Voices for Justice? Oh my goodness. So many cases. Um, the Alicia Navarro case, which is local to me here in Arizona, her mom is really fighting hard for her. 
um, Alicia Navarro went missing, I believe it was September of 2019, and um, she was only 15 years old. She does have autism, and they believe that she was led away by an online predator. And like I said, her mom is fighting really hard. I went to a vigil for Alicia tonight. There's actually an event. I'm going to go pass out flyers. I was telling people on Twitter, again, me trying to use Twitter. Um, I was like, if you guys want to meet me from six feet away, you should come pass out flyers for Alicia Navarro. Like it's a meetup. Uh, I'm kind of like tricking people into advocacy. It's fine. Don't hate me for it. Um, but I'm really passionate about that case. Of course, her mom is actually on TikTok too. And I think she's amassed like 250,000 followers on there. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, again, it's cases that are close to me and then cases that I've never heard of before. I want to do a, a nice mix of it. But essentially, the concept is just if this case needs justice, whether they're missing, murdered or wrongfully convicted, like I want to look into it and see how we can help. And do you do um, all the research yourself, uh, post-production and everything? It's your you're the one woman show. Yes, I still do every single thing by myself. Well done. Bragger. i think i'm just not ready to let go of control if we're being totally honest um but hopefully i mean hopefully someday i'll get to that point where i accept accept some help and um can hire some people on i'm also like i've gotten so many offers for free research and i just refuse like i have been an unpaid intern and i won't do that to someone um so i want to be able to like you know fully like onboard them as an employee and treat them with you know decency or whatever before i can (laughs) take work from them I was going to say, uh, we, on the other hand, are uh, accepting applications for uh, as many interns as we can get the, the get to help us. If they can pay us for the time, then we'll take those applications. Hey, they're they're getting a great background. They're getting a great, it's going to look great on their resume. Um, we'll write an we'll, okay reference letter afterwards, too, probably. Yeah, if they, yeah, <laughs> if they have a website, we'll just, we'll, we'll put it in one of the show notes. It'll be, it, it, you know, they, really, it's, it benefits them more than us. Yeah, you know, kind of good. Five out of 10. Okay, intern. Complained a lot about working 24-7. We kind of recommend in the future. Yeah. I mean, when I say I don't want a thick layer of mayonnaise on my sandwich, when you you bring it back and there's a thick layer of mayonnaise, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty clear order. I mean, what do you expect? What do you expect to happen in that? I want a thin layer of mayonnaise on my turkey club. I mean, oh it, my gosh. that's it. Lightly toasted with a thin layer of mayonnaise. Oh, now I'm all working. Flashbacks from my nonprofit days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, like that's how people really talk to you. That's what's so sad. Uh, no, well, not at, not at PIs for the Missing, the, uh, the nonprofit that we're board members of. Uh, everyone's very nice and respectful uh, there. And um, yeah, check it out at investigationsforthemissing.org. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Actually, you know, when I was trying to research some of these cases we were talking about possibly discussing on this episode, that's exactly where I went to your amazing blog with all that great information. And of course, I don't think any intern would be treated poorly at your wonderful organization. Uh, Well, that's a, you know, define poorly. Um, (laughs) We, We won't bring Michelle into this and how she feels. It's fine. Yeah, no, please don't. But no, PIs for the Missing, that blog, that website, um, they do a great job with that. That's Michelle, Jillian, Jen does a great job researching all the cases. Um, I, I want to go back real quick to you saying that you were not comfortable uh, sort of relinquishing control of your show, which is why you do everything. I think it's that, but I think there's something else there where it's every single case you're going to, you know, so well, if you have someone researching the show, then you're not going to feel as connected. You're going, you're going to feel like you're getting a script and now I have to almost, 
I don't know, push it with the emotions. You, because you're researching it, because you know the cases, and you're formulating your own thoughts, and someone's not telling you, here's, here's the, here are the bullet points, I feel like that's how you're getting those good conversations. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, just with my background, I, I think I pick out things that I feel for, um, you know, differently than maybe other podcasters do. There's there's little things that I might pick up on that I want to highlight. Um, and most of those are really just to make you care about the victim and the person usually fighting for justice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do I do like to feel connected to these stories because I'm also expected to speak on them after I present an episode. And I want to be able to do that as well as I can and do that story justice without being like, oh, I forgot what my researcher sent to me or whatever. And like, no, no shame to anybody who does that. I get it when you're when you're so big and you have a million shows or whatever, outsource what you can. Eventually, one day I do want to outsource things. I just have to find a comfortable way to do that where I can still feel connected to these with these cases and still be educated on them because I it, I don't know I feel like because I have this advocate title which I love like I love being an advocate I think that there is more expected of me to be able to remember these cases versus like oh I have a thousand episodes I don't remember about you know Jane Doe over there and what happened um and I think that comes from my heart too like I would honestly just feel bad if somebody asked me about it and I'm like I don't remember a single thing so tell us about the Jessica Easterly case. I know you're covering that, and uh, we covered it on Crawl Space a few, uh, two or three episodes um, with Jessica's sister and friend. Um, really heart wrenching story. Yeah. So I was first made aware of that case, um, I believe, on Twitter. Actually, I think her sister reached out to me, and we had like an hour and a half long phone call. This was months ago. She just wanted, you know, um, she wanted some help to figure out what she should do next and what I thought of the story. And I obviously just felt so compelled by it. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me is there are so many people fighting for justice for Jessica, which is amazing. There's kind of this little group of her friends and her sister trying to make all of this happen. Um, and yeah, I think it's just one of those stories that there's so many shocking factors, right? Like the body being held by the, the husband or whatever it was. And then, you know, Jessica's sister discovering her own sister's body. There's just so much that I, I felt compelled that I wanted to cover it. And that's that's honestly how I make these decisions, right? Is like, I feel for you. I feel like I want to help you. I'm going to cover it. Um, maybe I should be more strategic, but but yeah, the Jessica Easterly case is one that I feel for greatly. So that is definitely coming this season. And how do you wrap up your episodes? Do you put out a call to action on each one of the cases? And do you also put out a call to action for your own personal case? Um, so yeah, I absolutely do. I put out a call to action. That's how every single episode ends is, you know, the episode goes through, here's the story, here's why we should care, and here's how you can help. And I try to reiterate that, you know, I want my listeners to be very active in helping these cases. That's kind of been the motto of Voices for Justice since the beginning. I had I had kind of a, a tagline that I made in the beginning that I thought wasn't so great near the end. It was, you know, um, don't just listen to these stories, be a part of them. And then I was like, I maybe need to change that because being a part of a true crime case can have kind of like a double entendre there. But that's always been kind of the mission is get involved. You know what I mean? Like if you listen to, you know, 40 hours on Maura Murray, now's the time to share her picture. It's not that hard. Just get on social media and, and share. Um, so yeah, I think that's a huge part of me being in the true crime space is not just telling these stories, but asking people to act on them. Um, you know, and at this point, it's it's not, I'm not really asking anybody to do anything with my case or Alyssa. It's, it's everything that I'm covering. Like, thank you for listening to an hour of this. Now let's do something about it. I just have one more question and a lot rides on this, this question. 
um, a lot rides on this question. I'm going to ask you one more time. Did John Lorden give you that microphone? <laughs> he did not give me this microphone. All right. I'm taking, but now I'm we can shame him for, for not. Right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm... Great, I'm great point. exactly my reason for asking. Yeah. I thought he I loved me and cared about me. No. <laughs> no. Well, thank you, Sarah Turney, for uh, joining us here today. We uh, really appreciate your time and uh, sharing your thoughts on advocacy, social media, and uh, your season of Voices for Justice. Congrats. And uh, the call to action at the end of this episode is go subscribe and listen to Voices for Justice. Oh, thank you so much. You guys will have always been and will always be my heroes. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.